I'm on stop. Where the brakes at? I give him that ditty bop. Like, take that, take that, take that, take that. I'ma put in work. I'ma do that ASAP. Throw my faith in rap. But if they don't say that, huh? What I'ma turn down for? I feel like Shaq and Nafo. Breaking glass in that black boat. I like Kobe and Toronto, huh? Dropping 81. Yo, I dropped the 88. Ricky Bobby, shake and bake. Sleeping on the shit and stayed awake, huh? Everybody make mistakes like VJs. Trying to say my name is Minio. Say it with me. Minio. Okay, great. Two bucks high. Raise stakes. Risk it all. I take the hate. This the winning team. Get the Gatorade. My guy good, but he's not safe. Nah. They try to shut us down and it ain't gon' slap Only thing I'm in is God and he on my side That the confidence of God, yeah, we got me That's why I really feel like you can't stop me
from the Blue Point Bible Church as well as director of the Power of Preterism Network. I'm excited to be on today's broadcast. I thank you all who are tuned in. Those of you that will later listen on podcast, thanks to you as well. Um, I have a lot to say. You know, it's been a while. I feel like I haven't done a show in forever. Even me, meanwhile, I did a show, I believe, last week. <laughs> um, God has just really been blessing me amazingly. I, I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, you know, I, I have to say this year has been a blessing that I've really just devoted myself to the Lord and devoted my time and um, have uh, seen the amazing blessings that come from that. I, I can honestly say that I... Um, the Power of Preterism Conference, or, you know, the Cover to Cover Conference, as I guess we we just gave it that name, the Cover to Cover Bible Conference, and um, that went amazing. You know, it, hanging out with Derek Lambert and Ryan Cataldo and Joseph Cataldo, and you know, you know, just Joe Daniels as always is a blessing, and um, you know, Jeff, Jeff's amazing man of God as well, a brother that you know, I, I just love hanging out with all these guys and find each other by the conversation, um, you know, seeing the studies that'll come from it, knowing the topics that we want to tackle next. Many of you know that I, uh, I'm ready to tackle this in Adam topic soon. And, um, I'm promising to have a article out within the next two weeks, you know, that's give, I'm giving myself another two week extension from the last time I said two weeks, but, um, it is, it's something that needs to be dealt with. And I believe I'm coming to a point where I can, uh, expound on my points the way that I'm, uh, understanding them through the biblical narrative. Many of you know that I've come to be obsessed with the biblical narrative. I think that's the way that we need to explain our points in Scripture, come to our conclusions about the details of Scripture and so forth. Um, I've seen the fruit. I've seen the fruit of understanding Scripture in that manner, explaining it to other people, and just seeing God literally just take off with with the truth in in people's hearts and just seeing people continually come to understand Scripture so much more powerfully. So, uh, again, I could sit on this show alone explaining just the details of where the narrative is is helpful and uh, to the men and women of God that have helped me lay the foundation. I have name upon name of people that, in my understanding, how I've come to understand Scripture, um, it's just blessed me so much. So, I just tell you, you know, Power Preterism Conference, Cover to Cover Conference, whatever title you like, um, amazing. God really just showed up. And then in my life, personally, I've just seen for the last couple of weeks just God moving in such amazing ways. And, um, you know, answered prayer after answered prayer. And I just want to encourage people to, if you haven't been following along, if you haven't been following along with the Returning to Our First Love Bible series at Blue Point, now's a perfect time to do so. You know, it's, it's all we're all going to kind of come to a, a point um, – of understanding the last you know couple weeks of our reading, we've been reading from Genesis chapter one. Now we're at uh, in our reading this week. We're in Numbers. We should be at Numbers. Well, actually, I'm I'm sorry. I, I must back up. I realized yesterday. I'll tell you a quick testimony here. Uh, yesterday, just an amazing day after Resurrection Sunday. Which how in a Christian's life, how can Resurrection Sunday not be a a blessed day, you know, amen, it's a day that proclaims joy for no matter what is going on in your circumstances, the despair, um, you know, family sick, if you have loved ones that have passed on, so, you know, Easter Sunday, you know, Resurrection Sunday, is just a day to celebrate, again, I understand the pagan concepts and Easter, and I understand the pagan so- concepts of eat, drink, and be merry, yet I still believe that in Christ we should eat, drink, and be merry, therefore, there's nothing wrong with using these days to commemorate and just Go above and beyond in your praise and celebration for what the Lord has done. So uh, Sunday was just, you know, amazing testimony after amazing testimony. And then um, 
I got caught up in my reading. So then when Monday came, I guess I was overexcited to get into our reading. And I realized that I had put rest and review on the calendar. That this coming Sunday, we're going to review where we've uh, where we've been going with Scripture. We should be at about Exodus. Actually, we should be at Exodus chapter 36 at this point in our reading. Oh, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 35, verse 20. And... Um, that's that's where we should be in our reading. However, you know, I I took it a bit further and I decided to jump into Leviticus, and because uh, our our following week we're going to read from Exodus chapter thirty five verse twenty to Numbers thirty six thirteen, and then obviously moving forward into Deuteronomy in our reading. Um, wh- one of the things I'm also going to do on the calendar is I'm going to move Ruth the reading of Ruth to Mother's Day because I noticed I did something wrong in my uh. My estimation here, I, I discluded some books that were supposed to be here. You know, Joshua, Judges, um, they're not included in our reading schedule. So it'll give us some time to kind of navigate that. And I'm going to kind of push us ahead this week into the book of Leviticus in our readings. So, again, this is where we're going to come to kind of a head of understanding. Once we get through the book of Deuteronomy, we're going to see that this is what it meant to be in Adam. It was to be under the law of Moses, to be of this covenantal people that were being commanded according to the truth of God, as as the covenant um, image of God in Adam, that was given to Adam and, and then went to Seth and so forth. That's what we're seeing in, in our biblical story, our narrative, to where we're at at this point. And you're reading now, you should have already gotten past the Passover, and now God has begun to give Israel a multitude of laws. You know, you see this from Exodus chapter 19 forward. You see the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, what is notoriously known as the Ten Commandments. And then you continue to see the various laws being laid down that will be further expounded upon in the book of Deuteronomy and then laid out again, I'm sorry, uh, further expounded upon in the book of Leviticus and then again um, redetailed in the book of Deuteronomy. So again, we we must follow the flow of the story. Passover is a covenantal feast given to Israel to commemorate their their Lord's faithfulness in bringing them out of Egypt. And that's what we're going to see that narrative, and I've been saying this in all my sermons, that you're going to see that narrative carried out, that Exodus Exodus motif. You're going to see that carried out again and again. You're going to see the Lord reminding the people of Israel, I am the Lord who took you out of Egypt. I am the Lord who had rescued you from Egypt. The bondage in Egypt, I the Lord rescued you out. And then in the New Testament, you see that clearly explained in a uh, narrative way, that what Jesus has come to rescue his people from is the spiritual aspect of Egypt, spiritual Egypt. You see this in the book of Revelation. The city of Babylon, that which is called spiritually Sodom and Egypt. <laughs> it, it can't get any further clear. You know, that's why I've always loved listening to a Tim Martin series. You know, as you go through his like series on Colossians, you go And I always found that to be amazing, you know, and there were times where I, was, I wasn't following, I just couldn't understand. So I understand where sometimes people will say that in regard to my view. And, you know, I must admit, I have not come to a complete understanding of a lot of the details that are brought forth by Tim Martin, Jeff Vaughn, and many of the people within what they might call the covenant creation camp. However, being humble enough to just go through my Bible and understand the historical context of what I'm reading, where it's coming from, the flow of the reading, and uh, the type of prose that we're dealing with, I was... Thinking earlier, I um, a favorite quote of mine comes from uh, Frederick Farrar, 
and he he has a phrase where he basically says that you know no other Eastern writing in the world um, would, would that introduced magic you know magic trees and talking serpents and so forth would we entertain as something to be understood literal. You know, even and then he goes on to say, even you know the the rabbis, as stupidly literal as they were, they understood it to be a philosophical you know image or picture. Yet in the 21st century, we want to completely confuse the, what we're reading. So uh, you know, again, I think Tim Martin does a great job of showing areas and bringing clarity. Much for me, and really, what Tim Martin laid before me was. We must understand the narrative. We must understand – remember the areas that we're being reminded of because, again, a disconnect that we have as a Western people is that our memorization skills are not as um, – on par, as are not on par with the um, first century Jews or those that preceded them because they had ways of memorizing things, and they would remember clearly – that's why they would tell generation after generation um, of the covenantal aspects of their faith. This is all being reiterated to Israel. To Israel, this is their their salvation, their savior. And again, you're seeing that dragged on throughout. Well, first you're seeing it in Exodus, the ending chapters of Exodus. You're seeing these laws laid before them as the covenantal people. This is how you shall represent me. I am the Lord who had saved you from Egypt. So now as we move forward here, and if you remember, I've been sharing from uh, the Bible's Re Bible Reader's Companion by um, this gentleman's name, Lawrence Richards. Just you know, a, a book I found on a shelf, and I said, "Well, why not use some of that insight and see if it, you know, um, is correct? Prove all things." First Thessalonians five twenty one. You know, let's walk worthy of doing that. I've been sharing insights out of the Dead Sea Scroll Bible, um, one of the translations by Martin Abegg Jr. and Peter Flint, as well as Eugene Ulrich. Um, some of the insights from the Fulfilled Covenant Bible. Um, shout out to Michael Day for that. Um, Dake's Annotated Reference Bible is actually the Bible I've been using, which is a very popular Pentecostal dispensationalist study Bible. Um, I find the notes to be rather interesting when everything somehow in Isaiah refers to the Messianic Kingdom <laughs> and the Antichrist. But, uh, you know, those are just some of the resources I've been using. The Life Application Study Bible, a very popular Bible that's put in the hands of people, reading from the NASB Study Bible. Um, you know, again, just sharing as many thoughts as I, I can from different resources and you know, trying to walk worthy of proving all things and, and challenging you know, my presuppositions with what the word might say. So here, uh, just going to give you some of the catch up on some of our reading here. Basically, to end Exodus, you know, Moses gives laws for the next couple chapters, 36 to 30 to 40, is um, careful instruction of the uh, tabernacle, um, I'm actually going to be sharing a video this coming Sunday at the Blue Point Bible Church, um, what the tabernacle would have looked like, what the priest's outfit would have looked like, and we see this is what Moses ends Exodus with, is you know explaining what the priest's outfit would uh, look like. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Shekinah, Shekinah glory, and uh, obviously how that prefigures the Holy Spirit, and um, you know many of the details. You know, uh, one of the things we see immediately after Moses gives this law and establishes all this stuff is that the people's hearts were stirred within them and they began to build the tabernacle and you know I believe firmly that that's what the truth of God does one of the um slogans of ministries that I've been involved with that you know I kind of created was zeal empowered by knowledge that in contrast to what Romans 10 speaks about with the people of Israel in the time of Jesus in the 1st century was that they had a zeal without knowledge they had you know this zeal to serve God but a failure to understand what God was doing in their time and I've always said that you know the opposite of that would be a zeal empowered by knowledge, that if we have the knowledge, we, we properly attain the knowledge, then we have an energy that just comes natural from what we know. 
And I, you know, I can personally testify to that. That's that's my life story. That's literally how God has um, worked in my life and continued to prove again and again His faithfulness is, you know, uh, how He's worthy of reverence and so forth. So, again, we see that immediately happening in the uh, the Book of Exodus. Now, as we get into the book of Leviticus here, I'm just going to read the quick intro from this book. It says, The Israelites are camped on the plain below a smoldering Mount Sinai. A few short months ago, God freed his people from slavery by mighty acts of power. He guided them deep to the desolate Sinai Peninsula, and there he gave them commandments they promised to obey. God also gave Moses specific plans for portable worship center, the tabernacle. The plans were followed exactly, and now a splendid tent church stands in the center of Israel's camp. And Aaron and his sons have been ordained as priests. The book of Leviticus is actually a manual, a how-to guide for the new priesthood, explaining the duties of a priest and the people as they worship God at his tabernacle. In general, the first half of the book covers sacrifices and duties of priests, and the second half states principles of personal as well as ritual holiness. What is most striking is that the powerful revelation about relationship with God is implied in all the Levitical details. We realize that God has chosen to dwell within his people in a tabernacle that symbolizes both presence and his power. We realize God's presence has an awesome impact. Those with whom God dwells must be different. They must be a holy people. Every ritual and moral regulation of Leviticus is designed to drive this truth home. If God is with us, we must be wholly set apart to him. We also must realize through the emphasis on sacrifice that we stand before God as sinners. Only a people cleansed by sacrificial blood can draw near to the Lord to worship him and to celebrate his presence. The frequent focus of Leviticus on the ritual ritual matters may seem foreign to us in the 21st century, but the underlying message of this manual of Old Testament worship shines bright and is relevant to us today. Be ye holy, be set apart, hagios. And one of the things I personally find out of the book of Leviticus that uh, challenges me, or that I often challenge other people with, is be set apart by the things that are commanded by the Lord. Don't be set apart by what you feel is the ways that we must be uh, set apart according to the, you know, your own personal standards, the God of your own making. We see that being a very popular thing here in, uh, you know, Christian America. Um, I, I actually would refer to, um, you know, the Scarlet Letter. I would refer to, um, there was a movie a while back that I had written an article about, and um, I forget the name of the article, but... You know, challenging people that a lot of the things that we are so taboo about and sin, you know, this is a sin, this is a sin. Um, those are not the things that the Lord told us to keep away from or, you know, I actually this morning I remember hearing about, uh, you know, an unfortunate story of someone who won't, won't come out, won't go out and spend time around their friends and their family because they're, they're afraid that that's, that would make them mingling with the world and would not be properly set apart or people that are obsessed with different types of music that you can't listen to this music. Or, you know, I could go on and on about these artificial man-made lists that equate us more with the Pharisees than they do with the message of Jesus. And, you know, it's been said time and time again, so I don't believe I'm going to fix it on my radio show, but... As maybe as we're going through the book of Leviticus, we could put that before ourselves and maybe make ourselves missionaries to make us aware of that. Ask people to prove what they're saying from the Word of God. So, obviously, the key things we're going to see here in the book of Leviticus is Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, who show contempt for God's instruction. We see very clearly how God deals with those who violate his uh, specific ways of being set apart. They have this strange fire. Um, obviously, which reminds me of uh, John MacArthur immediately in the conference he commonly holds called Strange Fire. I believe if you go to like strangefire.org or .com, you're going to find some of those resources, which can give you a modern perspective of some of the things some televangelists or uh, you know evangelist teachers, Bible teachers 
Um, don't want to be too mean there. But, um, you know, what they're saying about modern strange fire and strange worship and things that are coming before um, God. I obviously, this morning, I went through a long, uh, detailed time with uh, my best friend growing up, Elvis, and I, me and him were just kind of going through Scripture, going through some, you know, the articles online of the dangers of preterism and the critiques against preterism, and just showing him the ridiculous nature of some of these things that are said and you know to to refer to matthew chapter 17 as the fulfillment of matthew chapter 16 which is again and again the most ridiculous statement to make and shows a very severe um, ignorance of uh, the bible of what you're reading of reading comprehension and um you know and then you get into the hymenaeus and philitis attacks that are commonly used against preterists which again shows uh clearly a misunderstanding of reading comprehension you know, we've dealt with this time and time again. So, either way, apologize for the, the uh, off-trackness here. But we're going to read about Nadab and Abihu. We're going to read about Eleazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, who would further the, the Levitical priesthood. And then key events, obviously, are priests that begin their ministry, and Nadab and Abihu are killed. All of this is taking place right before the Mount Sinai. They receive detailed rules for holy living, for offering sacrifices required to stay in fellowship with God. Here a priest burns choice part of a sin offering required from all who sinned unintentionally or ritually cleaned. I love reading through the book of Leviticus. I, I believe it uh, puts before us the very clear commands of the Lord. And, uh, wow, this is exciting, the, this book. I, one of the clear things that I had written down on my notes as I began my studies through the book of Leviticus, which, again, I encourage you to do. Take some time at it. It, it only takes maybe, you know, if, if you set aside an hour and a half of your time, you say, I'm just going to get through the book of Leviticus, and I'm just going to read. I'm not, I'm not going to write down a lot of notes. You know, even I take a lot of notes. I have about, from reading through the book of Leviticus, I have about four pages of notes here. But, um, you know, again, just sit down and read, and, and just try to understand uh, the the form of what you're reading and what what's being said to. And, and, you know, write down the things that might challenge you a little bit, and get through the reading. And that way you could say you read through the book of Leviticus. So we see the Levitic, the Levites, obviously the priestly tribes set apart from the tribes of Israel. And the Levitical law that we're reading here is the priestly law and the law of worship, how the people should approach their God. Through Leviticus chapters 1 through 6, we see the laws of offerings to the Lord. And what I was going to say is in this book here, they have the sacrifices brought by individual Israelites. And it gives you the details, the practice, the significance, and so forth. I actually had written down in my notes that I needed to get the the details. One of the things I also wrote down in my notes is, did Cain and Abel have this information? Did they have a... Was it a cultural understanding? Is the Lord using their culture right now to kind of set apart by different types of worship for different reasons? Require some historical research. And I can't say that I have that here. I can't say that I've done that. But again, having that humility to understand that is vital in our understanding of Scripture. So we see Cain and Abel do a Cain and Abel, what's their understanding of, of sacrifice? Why did, you know, Abel's sacrifice, um, was it received? by the Lord in such a worthy manner, whereas Cain's wasn't. You know, these are questions that we should have as we're reading through the narrative here. And Noah, how does he know what's clean and unclean? If he's not given this law, this law is being given later on. Um, Abraham, Jacob, you know, the all people who had knowledge of sacrifice. So do they know the wisdom that we're seeing here? Is this a covenantal wisdom? Something that's being passed on from generation to generation that the Lord is now expounding upon and giving to Moses and making clear that this is the covenant of how it was given to their people and how it was established as the Mosaic covenant. You see burnt offerings, grain offerings, fellowship offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings, all things that are intended to uh, 
bring you closer to God. And then you see, obviously, the priest shall make atonement for the people in Leviticus chapter 6. And we read about the priest's part, you know, something I'm definitely going to be expounding upon much more this coming Sunday. You know, the priest has to wear a linen robe. He has to burn an incense. He can only eat unleavened bread. There's power in all of that. And it shows us what we should be today as a kingdom of priests. In Leviticus 8-9, through 9, we simply read about the consecration of Aaron and his sons. Sometimes it's hard to read through a lot of those details because you kind of wonder, well, I'm never going to be a, never going to be a uh, Levitical priest, considering that the Levitical priesthood has been done away with forever. So why would I want to read about what the priest's outfit has to be and what sacrifices this priest must bring before God? And again, I think that's the power of understanding the narrative. You get to have, be clear on some of the details, and you get to say, okay, well, you know, I understand I don't need to get into the in-depth, like what color was the priest's jacket, and what color was the, the thermon on, on, on the front of it, and you know, come on. Does that stuff really matter in our, our understanding, or is that Bible trivia? Which unfortunately has led to some of the confusion in our day, because we have more people that understand the... Um, the details, you know, these weird verses, you know, they can recite verses on and on, yet they can't tell you the, the biblical narrative. They can't tell you what the point of the story is or how that is supposed to come to life in our generation. What is the Holy Spirit doing now? And they have to artificially insert ourselves into the text and thus confuse ourselves completely. So, as we move into Leviticus te uh, chapter 10, we read about the sin of Nadab and Abihu, as I went on, about the strange fire. And in Leviticus chapter 11, we read about the animals that are allowed for food. You know, and you go through the whole clean and unclean. Um, you know, and one of the things that's commonly talked about are these, uh, were these given as health regulations or were they, you know, given as a separation from the norm? Maybe the, the, the pagan society around them, maybe they were worshiping a certain way, they were eating certain foods a certain way. And the Lord's doing something here to completely set them apart that would have been very familiar in their day. You know, I, I, I tend to favor that because I believe that's the power of what's happening here, a polemic against idolatry, which actually is going to be clearly displayed here in a couple chapters. So then you get into uh, you know the, the animals that chew the cud, those that don't chew the cud, but they don't they don't divide the hoof, those that don't have fins or scales, those that uh, what type of birds you could eat, what type of insects you could eat, and uh, you know then you read about the touching of uh, dead carcasses and what has to happen with that process. Again, uh, I'm not really a fan of touching dead carcasses either way, so I, I don't really have to worry about the law because I'm not going to be doing that often. My job doesn't require me to do that all that often. Um, again, understanding the context here, in the middle of the desert, sounds like there would have been a lot of dead carcasses around. Sounds like something they would have had immediate relevance to them. You see the covenant reminder here in Leviticus chapter 11. I'm actually going to turn there, and I'm going to point out a couple of these covenant reminders as we go through our reading here on the show, because I think they're important in regards to our reading. Our, the understanding as we move forward into the prophets and move forward into the story of Jesus. You'll see these similar uh, uh, pronunciations happening throughout the writings of the epistles and throughout you know, Revelation according to John. Here in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 43, Do not render yourselves detestable through any of the swarming things that swarm, that you shall not make yourselves unclean with them, so that you shall become unclean. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. For I am the Lord that brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is a law regarding the animals and the birds and every living thing that moves in the waters and everything that swarms on the earth. To make distinction between the unclean and the clean, between the edible creature and the creature which is not to be eaten. You see here he's making a very clear, I am the Lord, be separate to me. 
I saved you. Don't do what? Why is he telling them not to do it? And I think that's a very clear, we're going to see here in a couple of chapters, he's going to talk, start talking about Molech. Don't do as those that are worshipping Molech and eating these things that they're doing and carousing the way that they're carousing. Don't do it the way they're doing it because I want you to be separate. Again, this is the way that he's going to demonstrate the separation between his people and the people around them in these pagan nations. The question we must ask ourselves is when we move forward into our Christian understanding is are those same distinctions still standing? What is supposed to separate us from those that are not in covenant with God today? And don't worry, I'm not going to spill the beans, so to speak, now, because I think that's something we need to move forward in and understand the flow of the narrative. As we move forward into Leviticus chapter 12, you uh, read about the laws of motherhood and the necessary offerings that would have had to been done with that. Um, Leviticus chapter 13, you see about the test of leprosy and that necessary isolation of those infected by uh, leprosy. Obviously, this week I'll be uh, reading a little bit about Mother Teresa and sharing some of that since she was immediately involved with leprosy, and to be honest, I simply have written in my notes, Google leprosy, and I have some research to do in that area, clearly expound upon that. Um, Leviticus chapter 14, we read about the cleansing of a leper and the necessary sacrifice that would be required, and going outside of the city to an unclean place. And again, I believe this is very clear, um, bringing us into the focus of our story. We're talking about a city of a clean place, which would have been God's covenantal people, and then outside of them is going to be unclean. And you see the same analogy used in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, about those that are, are going to be set apart and are unclean, are separate from the covenantal people. It's an awesome question to ask yourself. What is God saying here? These are the, Well, we see very clearly here through Exodus and Leviticus how the Lord is setting apart his people. I would make the argument, you see the same thing in Genesis chapter 1 as well, that the Lord, the God of Israel, true, the true God, was separating his people from the darkness of the pagan regions around them. I believe that to me is very clear in Genesis 1 through 3. Um, however, moving forward, we definitely see that here, and everybody would agree that we would see this with God establishing, um, pulling his people away, Israel, those who fight or struggle with God and um, or struggle for God, and now he's separating them by these laws, the law of Moses. And he's giving them all these necessary things. So then when we move into the new covenant and Jesus establishes the new covenant, what, that what separates his covenant people from everybody else? Again, if you follow the flow of a covenant story, you don't end up at universalism. You don't end up at a dead God who died in AD 70. You end up at a God who is faithful for generation to generation for the eternal age forever and ever. That's what you get when you have a consistent biblical story. So as we move forward looking for that... We see that now you're going to throw these lepers outside of the city. Leviticus chapter 15, we read about uh, unhealthiness and you know a lot about discharge from the body. And you know I know it's common to think about sexual activity and so forth. And clearly that's definitely mentioned here. You know you begin to see about women's menstrual cycles and so forth. Um, but I also think about pimples and you know skin diseases and things like that that have discharges from the body. That's that's also in the context of things that would have been clean and unclean, something that's not all that foreign to us. You know, the, when I see somebody that has a pimple that looks like it's going to pop or something, you know, my immediate thing is, you know, gee, oh, you know, don't don't come near me. I, I Unfortunately, I have friends that think it's appropriate to sit in the passenger seat of a car and try to pop your pimple in the mirror. I'm sorry to disgust you with that. But, you know, again, I, I think it's, um, you know, it's a clear thing. It's something very similar to our society. Unfortunately, you know, hopefully you don't have friends like me that uh, they would do that. 
Unfortunately, there are. So we see very clearly as we're following through the flow of Leviticus, you have a lot of touch not, taste not, go near, just keep those outside the city, unclean, clean. And then immediately you get to Leviticus chapter 16. And Leviticus 16 is talking about atonement, the laws of atonement. We just came out of Passover talking about the Passover lamb and the whole process of atonement that was done by the Messiah, Jesus Christ. I would posit that that atonement was completely consummated in AD 70, something I'm going to be excited to expound upon in the next two coming weeks, because I'm also going to be sharing insights from the end of the law by Don Preston, the Torah to tell us, the passing of the law of Moses, and when every jot and tittle fully was fulfilled by Jesus. Was it done at the cross? Was it done at the resurrection? Was it done at the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70? Don Preston, amazing job on that detail time to time again. Um... I read the, the End of the Law by Don once before, but I'm going to familiarize myself by reading through that this week. And I also found a pretty cool book at the library. Um, it's one book, one of six books of questions by uh, two gentlemen, William Corlett and John Moore. And they, uh, they're going through the Judaic law. And if I may just read you the insights, so that way you could have your uh, curiosity set for how, what I'm going to be detailing Hero Israel, the Lord God, our God is one. The Lord is one. Judaism is one of the great monotheistic religions, but why do we really know about it? Are its laws as relevant now as they were when they were first laid down? Is Judaism a religion of law and order or of logic and reason? What meaning does it have in a world as diverse as ours? There are many such questions, but for everyone young and not so young, the answers must be personal, and they, and they are for the authors of this book, one of the great the series of six on great world religions. Here, William Corlett and John Moore pose fundamental questions such as, who am I? Why was I born? Why am I here? What happens when I die? And examine the ways they are dealt with by the sacred writings of the Judaic faith religion. They inquire in an adventurous, involving, but never dogmatic way. And their series has already been greatly enthusiastically by the, greeted enthusiastically by the London Times Literary Supplement. So, Again, it seems to be a pretty cool book. I looked at it. I'm going to look at it from their perspective. And uh, obviously, we'll be touching on theonomy. We'll be dealing with a lot of these details. I'm going to take some time to look through some of the theonomy debates and familiarize myself with that understanding. And we're going to see if all this works. And if this comes into um, clarity and, and, and into free flow with the narrative as we've been noticing it through the, the story of Scripture, the context of Scripture. Um, we'll be definitely talking about atonement this coming Sunday. and. Uh, you know, talking about the difference between the holy place, the tent of meeting, um, Yom Kippur, and, you know, the Day of Atonement, and, you know, all the judgments, and all, all those details will definitely be uh, dealt with this coming Sunday. And that's the stuff that should be, as you're reading, should be jogged in your mind, and you should be looking up, maybe start Googling some of that information. Again, I want people to be so informed about their Bible by the end of this year that this series just blessed your socks off. That's my goal, you know. Let's go through this and enjoy the biblical narrative. Then as we continue into you know, Leviticus chapter 17, we find more about, now we find the mention of goat demons. That's the point. This information is not coming to us through a vacuum. There's a culture around these people that they're doing this in contrast to. You see, idolatry continually forbidden. Here in Leviticus 17 is our first major notice of it. Idolatry forbidden. At least in our reading here. Again, you see many of the mentions of that in Exodus. However, here in Leviticus chapter 17, do not do as they did to the goat demons. I would make the case that the biblical narrative is a polemic against idolatry. So, which again, I, I believe if we understand the biblical narrative, we have the best way to talk to people about Christianity and explain to them the biblical faith. And that is the best argument or the, the apologetic 
for Christianity. That being said, if you're from New York, <laughs> quick uh, intro here. Um, if you're from New York, April 16th, actually at 7 p.m. at Stony Brook University, we have a debate between a uh, theist and an atheist regarding morality. Is it you know is it better to come from science or to come from God? And uh, it's going to be a pretty cool um, presentation. So I you know, invite you, if you're from Long Island, come on out. April 16th at 7 p.m. It's a free event, open to all. Um, again, we're going to see the same set-apartness happening in uh, Leviticus chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. You know, do not be like the other people, be set apart, no idolatry. Um, in Leviticus 17, we actually saw a mention of blood and the importance of blood. And it reminded me of, you know, I have to go back and do the research. Um, there's only two days of notes here going through. Um, I have to do the research on it. I remember with Noah, if you remember when we read through the story of Noah, Noah had, uh, the Lord made a clear declaration that the blood of animals would be the recipient's for the sacrifice of man, you know, that man's going to use animal, which I believe, again, was a very clear indictment against the pagan nations around them. The pagan nations would have looked at animals needing to be revered. And again, we see many of these religions alive in our day. So, uh, you know, very clearly, again, a polemic against um, the idolatry around them. And then, you know, you have the list of immoral relations that are forbidden in Leviticus 18. And uh, clearly right there in Leviticus 18.21 talks about idolatry to Molech. And how homosexuality, bestiality, um, all the nations around you, and you, know, you see this in 18, verse 24 and 27, be separate. Don't be like them. Don't do the things they're doing. Don't plant your um, gardens the way that they do. Don't dress the way that they do. Don't do the things they're doing. Don't eat the same foods that they do. Do we believe that that is the same thing today? We must be consistent in our biblical understanding. So, as we move forward, and sure enough, to continue the story, Leviticus 19 is all about no idolatry. Remember your God. There's proper ways to eat of the sacrifices. There's various laws that are called to set you apart. Look here at Leviticus chapter 19. Um, we're going to go to 19 verse 9. <clears throat> Excuse me if my voice sounds a bit strange today. I guess I'm uh, getting a bit sick. You know, my... Uh, pretty lady she works with children so she gets sick and then uh you know when i kiss her hello i i guess i get sick that's <laughs> you know, you spend all day sitting on the couch with each other watching tv hanging out sharing drinks and everything else before you know it you're sick so i guess that might be what you're hearing in my voice and i apologize uh chapter 19 verse 9 now when you reap the harvest of your land you shall not reap the very corners of your field nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest you should nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Wow. Why, why, why would he all of a sudden set that forth right here in a polemic against idolatry, what we just saw in verses, 19, uh, verses 1 through 9? Why? Because I, as I explained a couple of weeks ago in, in my sermon about Sodom and Gomorrah, that Sodom was notoriously known for being a stingy people who would not share with their neighbors. You study ancient Near Eastern religions, they were a very, maybe in a nice way we'd say shy. Um, they didn't want to interact with their neighbors. Again, we see that in many primitive societies today. That when we go in, you know, the, I know the story of, um, I always forget his name. The Christian martyr who died in, uh, I think it was the Incas. Um, let me see here, I'm going to look that up. Because I have a, fa a favorite quote I'll actually share right now by him. Um, oh, See if we can pull it up quick. Sorry to bore you here. Um, all right, I'll find the quote. 
nope, sorry. Um, <laughs> I'll have to share that uh, another time, I guess. Um, there's, a, there's a quote that makes me like, Lord, make me a fork in the road. Um, here we go. That's, uh, that's how I think it goes. Sorry about this. Just one of those spirit moments, I guess. Yes, I found it. All right, Jim Elliott. So sorry. I knew it was going to come as soon as I saw it. Um, Jim Elliott has a quote where he says, Lord, make me a crisis man. Let me not be a milepost on a single road, but make me a fork that men must turn one way or another in facing Christ in me. I've always found that to be a rather encouraging um, quote. And, you know, Jim Elliott, he went into the um, the natives. I forget. I don't want to misquote where he had uh, went. I think it was Ecuador. And he had went there, and, you know, these primitive um, Indians just were not ready for, you know, him to be there and unfortunately killed him and... Um, yeah, we saw his martyrdom there. So, again, I, I see that in the ancient Near Eastern cultures. You see that there were primitive people. They were shy. They were stingy. They didn't want to share. They didn't want people visiting. They didn't want people spending time. So I believe that's the focus of Sodom when you, you read through Sodom um, in your Old Testament, in contrast to the, the common uh, homosexuality focus and so forth. Again, we saw homosexuality being prominent there, yes, because that was the way that the pagans would worship their gods, and thus why God in Leviticus 18.22 tells them to be separate from that and to separate themselves. However, I, I simply will make the case and set before you, I'm not saying homosexuality is okay or not okay, but I just set before you to understand the biblical narrative and to be consistent. I mean, do we believe all of these things stand or not? That's um, something to, interesting to set before ourselves. And don't worry, we will gladly get to Romans chapter 1 and many other proof texts and passages to see if that's indeed what Scripture is saying or if that's not. You know, again, I, I'm not showing partiality in either side. Um, my personal understanding comes to me more through a, uh, a narrative understanding, a, a societal, sociological aspect, and uh, so forth. So, again, that's a top for a coffee, <laughs> coffee or a beer, and uh, we could have those talks. So, we see very clearly that love thy neighbor is what's going to sum up Leviticus 19. Be separate from the nations around you. We even receive, we read in verse 23 about forbidden fruit. Um, when you enter the land and plant all kinds of trees or food, then you shall count their fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall not be forbidden to you, it shall be three years it shall be forbidden to you, it shall not be eaten, but in the fourth year its fruit shall be holy. So wondering if that has a uh, connection to our Genesis passage there with uh, the fruit that Adam's told not to eat. Was it something to do with the land or something to do with the idolatry in the place around them? Is this the way that the Lord had continually told his people to be separate? Is to not eat of the fruit of the trees of the land that he had placed them? Hmm. Just some things. Um, then, sure enough, we get into our reading about the no shaving, no tattoos, you know, my uh, mother's favorite passages, <laughs> and um, no other tree, keep the Sabbath, um, honor the aged. We see all this mentioned here. This is what they're going to be known known for. These are the things they need to be separate for. And uh, so that the land will not spew you out is one of the things. We see the same thing in Leviticus 20, no idolatry, honor your mother and father. Um, we see the sex laws outlined again, um, be holy. Set apart, no idolatry, again, um, so that the land will not spew you out, the place where I have put you. Doesn't that remind you of the story of Genesis? Can I just put that before you? <laughs> Doesn't that bring you back to the story of Genesis? The Lord put them in a place, told them not to eat of the fruit, that if they ate of the fruit, they would be removed from the place. Am I, am I not seeing a very simple covenant connection right there? That's not me interpreting anything. That's me reading my Bible as I commonly say to most of my friends. <laughs> so uh, then as we continue, we see in 
Leviticus chapter 21, laws for priests, Aaron and his sons. And, uh, you know, the care for the holy gifts in Leviticus chapter 22. Then we get into the appointed feasts, the, you know, the, the list of feasts that are mentioned. Let's see if this fancy little book over here has them listed. Sure enough, it does. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, Day of Atonement, tabernacles. I'll tell you, this book, The Bible Reader's Companion by um, Lawrence Richards, honestly, whether you're a futurist, preterist, a Mormon, an idealist, whatever your understanding is, I personally have to say that I, I recommend this book. Um, so much. I think that's something you should um, definitely uh, seek to have an understanding of and have in your resources because there's so much there. And again, you don't have to agree with everything. And you know, it's just a, a good resource to have in your bookshelf. And I believe you could find it for pretty cheap on the internet and purchase something that you find there. So then in Leviticus chapter 22, you have the care for the holy gifts and how the priests are to set apart their worship and set apart their consecrated gifts and their sacrifices and how these sacrifices are commanded in verses 17 through 33 to be perfect sacrifices. And we know that we see this pointing to the worship as, um, and sacrifice of Jesus Christ and how he was a perfect sacrifice, really the only true perfect sacrifice offered by God. And then we see again here the covenant reminder in Leviticus 22 verse 33 that the God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God, you are set apart to him. That is your God. That is who you must devote all your worship to. This is the true God who is saving his people. And then we see in Leviticus 23 a reminder of the appointed feasts yet again. And Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, leave food for the strangers. This, again, I'm one of those people that when I see a th something popping up again and again in my reading, it causes me to pause. And I say, what am I reading? Why is it so continual like that? Why does it keep getting mentioned? What is the point? And then in Leviticus 23, again, we see the Day of Atonement. And if you do not celebrate it, you're going to be cut off from your people. And, you know, the necessary uh, Leviticus... Um, burning of the, the lamps and the temple and the tabernacle and how you're to care for the tabernacle and all those details. You see that all mentioned right there in Leviticus chapter 24. And then you read about a warning. There's a warning for us right here. Well, for Israel. In Leviticus chapter 24, verses 10 through 16, you read about the story of the man who blasphemed the name. So if you ever need a proof text to tell people, well, this is what how the Lord feels about those who speak against his truth against him, you can take them to Leviticus chapter 24, verses 10 through 16, and literally read the story of a man who blasphemed the name. Let's take a moment here, if you go with me. Go to Leviticus chapter 24. Let's just read through it. That way it'll be familiar with you. You can tell the story to someone else. <laughs> Here's that verse 10. Now, the son of an Israelite woman whose father was an Egyptian went out among the sons of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and the man of Israel struggled with each other in the camp. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name and cursed. So they brought him to Moses. Now, this mother's now his mother's name was Shalhemeth, the daughter of Dibri, the of the tribe of Dan. They put him in custody so that he could so that the command of the Lord might be made clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the one who has cursed outside the camp, and let all who heard him lay their hands on him. Then let all the congregation stone him. You shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If anyone curses his God, then he will bear his sin. Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him. The alien, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Again, nobody in their presence was allowed to speak against the truth of the true God. Again, we see this being reiterated by Jesus, that those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit, those who speak against the work that God is doing in your midst, there's no forgiveness for you. 
It's a sin that will not be forgiven. Again, God is a, a repentant God. So now if you all of a sudden, which you know, I'm a Calvinist, so I can use this, that if when God puts a, imparts to a man to uh, believe, that then that man will now believe. And that, that is a blessing from God. That is an in, invite into the covenant relationship with God. And again, we could get into the argument of whether free will works and all that stuff, but really it's just not necessary. Understand the narrative as it is. Right now, God's calling his people. Right now, we're just talking about Israel. And very clearly, everybody's held guilty under this law. This is, this is what God's doing with Israel. He's saying that if anybody among you blasphemes me, they must be stoned to death. Then the next part talks against murder. And um, you know, I'm going to be mentioning a bit from Shane Claiborne about the uh, – he makes an interesting case, which this text seems to make a pretty interesting case, that a man who kills someone is blaspheming. It's following up from the blasphemy. That if, when you kill someone, you're killing the image of God. You're killing God's creation. That which God had set above all things. That's why murder would be such a sin. Leviticus chapter 25. When you come into the land, there's a necessary Sabbath for seven years. Do not reap of the growth. Again, I, I see this is very symbolic to the story of Genesis. I think there's something there. And, uh, you, know, it, you know, I have to say that this is an area where you begin to think about the agricultural laws of Israel. And what God's commanding them, how they're to be set apart from the nations around them. When we get into the theonomy discussion and debate, theonomy being, should we impose the law of Moses today? Is it still um, active? Is it a covenant for God's people eternally? Um, When it comes to the agricultural laws, I I really do believe that that would be a great, great insights for today. Not a return to the Mosaic law, but definitely use of some of the details. You know, I don't believe we should be killing people around us that don't believe in the God of Israel, the faithfulness of the God of Israel, or who, you know, due to um, mankind's innate desire for uh, pride and everything else that is above anything I've ever seen in our generation. Um, you know, again, I've only been alive in this generation, though, humbly admitting that. Um, but just, you know, things I've heard out of people's mouths, the things I've heard people say, um, you know, just the ego is just so high. But then there's many areas where it would just be, come on, I'm not going to kill my friend that thinks it's funny to, to speak against God, and I'm just going to correct him, and I'm going to do it to speak the truth in love uh, rather than the truth in fear, which Old Testament was definitely the truth in fear. You were held in the truth, being bound by the law, whereas in the New Covenant, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love is casting out that Old Covenant. And then, you know, something I've always found to be pretty awesome is the the, the, the Jubilee uh, thing where you can restore everything after the seven years. and um, the law of redemption and you know how you, how this helps the poor people in the land. And I know Shane Claiborne again; he has a lot of resources on the Jubilee. I'll be sharing some of them this week. And uh, how you know people of modern times are trying to reenact these things. But if we understand the theonomy debate, we have to be very cautious in how we believe we should enforce uh, old covenant um, things in our world today. Leviticus chapter 26, sure enough, we again have a polemic against idols. We see next, right after idols, a lot of times in your readings, you're going to notice the keeping of the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath is the rest. John Walton goes to great lengths, and many other um, ancient Near Eastern writers um, will go to great lengths to show that the the Sabbath as the seventh day is God creating his rest, his rule, and his reign within his people. So every time it's commanding you against idolatry, it's the Lord, you know, reciting, I am the God that is resting, ruling, and reigning within your midst, and you are to celebrate that by resting on this day. That's the power of the Sabbath. And if I may read you uh, Leviticus chapter 26, verses 3 through 13. 
You shall keep my sta- I'm sorry. Uh, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I shall give you rains in their seasons, so that the land will yield its produce and the trees of the will bear their fruit. Indeed, your threshing will last for you until grape gathering, and grape gathering will last until sowing time. You will thus eat the food to the full and live securely in your land. I shall also grant peace in the land, so that you may lie down with no one making you tremble. I shall also climb eliminate harmful beasts from the land. No sword will pass through your land, but you will chase your enemies, and they will fall before you before the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. So I will turn toward you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will confirm my covenant with you. You will eat the old supply and clear out the old because of the new. Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. For I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, so that you would not be their slaves. And I broke the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. And then he goes on to list the penalties of disobedience. So you see there, that was, I don't think I could issue a stronger polemic against idolatry than that. And if the Lord's saying, if you follow my ways, I will bless you. I will. And again, we see this covenant promise of lying down in peace. Um, dwelling in your land, eating of your own food. We see this continually expounded upon as we're going to read through the prophets. How many times does the prophets promise? They say, you will dwell securely in your land and you know the neighbors will no longer eat of your few food, but you will eat of your own food. It's just simply a reiteration of what we're reading right here, covenantal promises and covenantal law. And we see this carried out through the rest of the Leviticus um, and then obviously the Lord makes very clear that if they do disobey, that they will have the opportunity to repent. You can read verses of Leviticus chapter 26, verses 40 through 46. And an area I'm going to actually do some more research into this week is Leviticus chapter 27. It starts to talk about the numbering of the people, and uh, censuses were very popular in Israel, and I want to get a more of a better understanding of that. And uh, then we see in the Levitical law, I thought it was funny, I was talking to a friend this week, and he had said to me about the palm branch that you know the palm branch must be burned; it cannot be uh, you know discarded in any um, unholy or profane way. And while I agree with him, I just simply believe that to be Levitical law. That's how the priest would deal with it under the Levitical law. But if we're really going to get that technical, if we're going to start following Levitical law, we would actually be demanded to follow it exact, every jot and tittle of that law. Another important important point to notice as we go through the law and point to Jesus fulfilling the law is that every jot and tittle must either be obeyed or must be fulfilled. That's, you know, you can't have one without the other. You have to be very consistent. As I, you know, would ask all my friends this week, if you've ate any unleavened bread within the last three days, according to the Levitical law, you should be put outside of the camp, for you are unholy and unclean. So, well, before we begin to use the law of Moses to, uh, you know, attack other people, and, um, you know, Forget that these are the commandments, not the Ten Commandments, not the laws that you make up, but the full 613 laws of the Law of Moses, as counted by the rabbis. Those are the laws that we would be required to follow under the covenant of Moses, the Old Covenant. The touch not, taste not, do not, shall not, rather than understanding covenant relationship through Jesus Christ and the grace of Christ, the awakening of the Holy Spirit within the mind of man and the spirit of man. To bring man closer to God through the knowledge of God, provided through Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's what we're up to in our covenantal story. It's important for us to understand the context of what we're reading. That way we can come into a much richer and blessed understanding of our reading. And again, 
where I'm going to be preaching the next two weeks. I'm going to be preaching on the details of the law of Moses, including numbers and Deuteronomy and uh, so forth. So I urge you to keep tuning in and um, I'll be continuing to detail these uh, amazing insights that come from the word of God. And I hope that uh, you're excited now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to play a song, and I'm going to come back in a couple minutes, and I'm going to issue a pretty exciting announcement regarding our uh, conference here that we had um, almost about a month ago now. And um, No, not a month quite yet. Almost a month. Um, our conference and some of the details that are flowing after that and um, how you can get involved and play a part. I will be right back. Yeah. As the deer pass flowing streams, yeah. so my soul for you, God. Bloody Mary, I never touched the virgins, nah, they too scary. And then me, you died since the day of my birth. Now I'm a walking right billboard, obeying my thirst. My lips used to sip from six mixed elixir. Now I big gulp from big spit to scripture. Living water all in my picture, get the picture. Blowing out my heart is the best kind of addiction. If I go days without seeking his face and start showing, a week outside his presence in the world starts knowing. Sometimes my earnest prayer is to erase my brain Cause 20 years as a pagan, got my mind trained Broke up with the world like I need my face, I gotta breathe But then she looked me in my face like you ain't gotta leave The landlord clued me in till you're cheating I need more for a reason, so I got to get leaving Your face I need to constantly see I need more, never feel I'm reaching my peak I need more, my soul thirsts for you, oh lord I need more I need more, I'm thirsting after God. Find peace in your mercy and grace. I need more, find shelter in no other place. I need more, my soul thirsts for you, oh Lord. I need more, I need more. You can catch me at the brook. Forget diamonds in his presence, I stay laced. With a shine like Moses when I'm seeking his face. My gratitude for the water was bottle it up and try to sell it like a telemarketer. Until I die, or they martyr us. The water's aquaphobia. How I advertise You can drink from other sources But your soul's never satisfied 737, 86, Catch me at the brook Take a sip to heaven Never get enough Christ fill my soul up Cause all the world's well Need to try or they done froze up Greater than Jacob Look at John 4 sitting near Jesus makes an offer The waters like a synonym All the women and men Who live in this synonym Catch us at the brook Where we be getting it in and in your face I need to constantly see. I need more. Never feel I'm reaching my peak. I need more. My soul thirsts for you, oh Lord. I need more. I need more. I'm thirsting after God. Find peace in your mercy and grace. I need more. Find shelter in no other place. I need more. My soul thirsts for you, oh Lord. I need more. I need more. You can catch me at the brook. The world's at the well, looking thirsty. Me, I'm at the brook. What a church be. Don't need a pool, homie. Christ that healed me. Used to mess around with coke, but his power's a real thing. Don't need a Pepsi to pet me. Press me, press me to seek him. Like John Knox, the scout who told me that I should drink him. So till I leave the earth, catch me pulling it up. I got my life turned up, homie, so is my girl. Yeah. Like the deer panther, my soul thirsts for you, like. Make them known, and everything we do, like. Offer living water to my whole crew, we like. I carry my cup. I can't get enough. Raise your cup to his authority and power like. Found out all day was happy hour like. Real talk, he turned our lives up when the music drops. You can catch me at the brook after the music stops. Your face, I need to come. 
constantly seek. I need more. Never feel I'm reaching my peak. I need more. My soul thirst for you, oh Lord. I need more. I need more. I'm thirsting after God. Find peace in your mercy and grace. I need more. Find shelter in no other place. I need more. My soul thirst for you, oh Lord. I need more. I need more. You can catch me at the brook. All right, so just a couple announcements to, uh, before we end our show today. I am pleased to announce that uh, as of, you know, we had this amazing conference, and we brought together so many people and, and united so many people that it began to build a brainstorming. And, you know, and, and many of you that know me personally know that I've been brainstorming for a while. On you know, Ever since I became a full preterist, I wondered, you know, why aren't there more people out there that are passionate about this, that want to see it spread? And I've been so amazed that you know to see the people on on facebook to see the people on different websites even you know sometimes you know when i'm bored i'll sit around and i'm just like all right what are people saying about preterism you know i'll put in my name i'll put in don's name i'll put in a bunch of people's names that i could see just to see how people are attacking preterism and you know it's, it's always interesting to find articles about myself that aren't always the friendliest you know sometimes they are really nice um to find out what people are saying in regards to preterism and you know again i get calls all the time i always you know boast about how i could play you um voicemails i could play you i could show you my emails I can show you people that are reaching out from all over the globe in regards to the biblical truth of preterism. So that being said, um, you know, we, we had this conference and we, we began to uh, brainstorm on areas. You know, obviously one of the major areas we've always talked about within preterism is a school, something that needs to be developed and um, where people can actually either develop certifications or degrees or even just basic comprehensive biblical knowledge. So uh, I began talks with some people, so that's um, in the development phase right now. We're actually looking to start a actually brick and mortar part of that would be here at Blue Point, would be here at Blue Point, and then as we begin to develop more and more local churches, which again I'm going to get to in a moment here, um, as we begin to develop more and more churches, we'll be staging also that school within these churches, and it'll be taught as a curriculum within different um, churches. And uh, obviously the goal is always to completely see uh, more and more congregations just give in to the understanding of preterism and come out in the open. It's like coming out of the closet, I guess, um, <laughs> for some people, um, you know, just to, to willing to put on that, um, you know, that I guess that cover that they're preterist or understand it or even being hum humble enough to just learn biblical truth. I don't care if people are preterist, honestly. I, I want people to understand the word of God and I want people to come in clarity with the word of God. But I it's not a dividing line with me. It's, you know, there's, I believe there's many areas that we can continue to have honest, humble conversation in areas of disagreement. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to offer this school in, in different churches. It'll be taught by different pastors and different leaders and in different areas where that can be done. And um, now about the church planting part, how are we going to see um, more of these churches is – um, I have begun some work with Alan Morton, um, tfcmag.com, and we've begun ideas of talking about building more virtual churches. And, you know, David Curtis with Berean Bible Church, that, you know, I have to applaud his efforts with the chat room. You can listen to it. You can watch it. That When I first became a preterist, that was really one of the only Sunday resources besides Alan Bondar's church in um, New, Covenant, New Covenant Eyes, which now is Lift Church. Um, when I had first come to the understanding of preterism, these were the only two churches I could really feel spiritually fed on a Sunday. And again, I'm, I'm one of those people that I do believe that having a local congregation, whether it's futurist, preterist, it doesn't matter, but be in tune with local believers that are trying, seeking to walk worthy of worshiping God in spirit and in truth and walking worthy of um, you know, making known the manifold wisdom of God that are seeking to be missional, that are seeking to really come to understand the Bible and aren't ostracizing you or not allowing you to speak because of your views. You know, again, um, 
unity. We don't want to be this divided cult faction or anything, things like that. So I always tell people that, you know, if you could find any local church that you feel the best in, but I do want to see the power of preterism brought up in these churches. So I believe that we need to start putting our boots to the ground, so to speak, and uh, get the work done. So that being said, Alan Morton wants to help create these more and more virtual churches. We're going to start, um, you know, people can start churches in their living rooms. People can do all kinds of things. And how we're going to do that is we would have extensions. For example, I have, you know, a board of elders and a team of deacons. And what we would do is we would come on to be other people's pastors. We would come on to be other people's elders and deacons and to help you and to help you in your life, whether you could be in California, India, for whatever matters, how can we be here to help? How can we be here the best way to make known the manifold wisdom of God? So we're going to set up verse, uh, a couple amounts of these virtual churches and seek to start getting them established. And that way people can be getting spiritually fed, can have not just the information that you can find on the internet and listen to on podcasts and so forth, but the interaction that is necessary as well. Having phone calls, having people that would be willing to spend time, maybe even become your friend. You know, I travel to Joe Daniels. Um, obviously, he's right here in New Jersey, but I travel to him um, you know, twice a year, and he travels to me about twice a year. So we get to have that fellowship with one another that, again, the conference we had here at Blue Point this year shows the reality and the power behind that. And what that can do to begin brainstorming and seeing churches. I know, um, I, I don't know if I'm letting the cat out of the bag, but you know, there's talks of a, ch a church starting down there in North Carolina. And um, a couple guys that met up here and um, somebody that was led to Christ, uh, you know, they're starting that in North Carolina. That's that's an amazing move of God happening right there. And then uh, just so many different talks about things. You know, again, the school, different church planting ideas. And then today which now is my, my special announcement. Many of you know I have been talking about this Power of Preterism network for a long time now. Well, now I can tell you, as of this morning, as of right now, you can now go to powerofpreterism.com, and hopefully everybody will find this to be an amazing resource. Um, this is not my thing. This is, again, it's the Power of Preterism network. I am the director. It's something I'm seeking to um, direct here. However, what I'm seeking to do is work with everybody possible, every organization we can get involved. You know, obviously, I've talked to Don Preston, Preterist Research Institute. I've talked to Ed Stevens with the International Preterist Association. I've, you know, made the connections with Jeff Vaughn and Tim Martin, and I've talked to all these people and spent the time just to build connections. That way, we can all work together. Tony Denton with A Sight for the Lord, Alan Morton with all the amazing things he brings before us, and all these different things. I want to start working together. So what my goal with the power of preterism is to be a hub for exactly that, to start creating relationships. And if you go to thepowerofpreterism.com, you get a little intro to me and you know what I'm looking to do. And um, our question that we put before ourselves is, why is the biblical view of preterism growing, and what must we do about it? Tell you a little bit about my church, where you know our annual conference is going to be held, the Power of Preterism Conference, or this year we refer to it as the Cover to Cover Bible Conference. And now you can go right to the site, and you can click on Conference Resources, and you can find all the speaking videos from this year in little tabs. And then you can go down. You can find all the stuff that we have recorded from last year in a couple pictures. Those aren't all the pictures. We just have a couple pictures up for uh, – you know, you to kind of look at and see how much fun we were having at the conference. And obviously to start, when we make the announcement of when it is, begin to make your plans of when you want to be here next year. We're still aiming around the area of March. This proved to be a pretty good time, although we had a little bit of snow. But it's, you know, again, that's that's New York. We can't make it earlier. Don't want to make it any later. So uh, that might be it. Maybe we could push for April or May. We'll see. Uh, I'll talk to everybody. And we're kind of just... Trying to see when we could get people to come out, everybody come out. You know, we had travelers from Tennessee, from Canada, from Texas, from North Carolina. So, you know, we want to be very uh, cautious and, and, and assistful in – assistful, is that a word? I don't think so. Um, we want to assist everybody in uh, <laughs> um, 
in being able to attend and be there and, and understand and see the power, that, not just the, the preaching, but the, the power of bringing these people together and, and seeing what God is doing in our midst. Then the real goal, or you know, not, the, not the real goal, but it's all the goal, but the main focus of my ministry here is um, if you click on the Preterist Network, and it's going to bring you in. Basically, I'm going to read through this, and I'm going to explain what I'm doing here. I, Michael Miano, seek to serve as a missionary force within preterism. I seek to always be here as an encourager, motivator, and assistance in the spread of biblical truth. Please find me on Facebook. Send me an email um, to simply establish a friendship, ask questions, or just talk. In dealing with networking, there's so much that needs to be done. The Power of Preterism Conference that we hold annually at the Blue Point Bible Church has proven time and time again to be a great way to meet other Christians who have come to understand the preterist perspective, or others who seek to simply be known as consistent Christians. While the work of the Preterist Research Institute, International Preterist Association, and many others have done outstanding work to get the truth of full preterism out into the general public, I must applause the work of Mr. Alan Morton with the Fulfilled Connection and Mr. Tony Denton's PretNet program in regards to networking. Indeed, it should be our goal to get the truth regarding full preterism and proper handling of the Word of God out to the general public. We must also seek ways to create networks within the preterist movement. Surely, we must all agree, our work must be done in word and in deed. A commitment I readily challenge the congregation at Blue Point to live up to. So some of the things that we're looking to offer is um, hashtag Team Preterist. It's boots on the ground. That's, you know, that's what we're looking to do. And basically, this is going to be a uh, missional marketing, um, however you want to look at it, um, base that what we're going to do is we're going to use the hashtag Team Preterist. We're going to start spreading. We're going to get T-shirts made, stickers made. Um, and these are going to be – Team Preterist is basically the group of people that are missionaries that would be willing to sometimes even travel and go to, uh, let's say, North Carolina and start handing out tracks, talking to people, getting you know conferences going, and spending the time that is necessary, literally the boots on the ground. That's what we need. That will be the healing of the nations. That's the people that want to be the missionaries, the evangelists, within the force of preterism. And I'm, I'm willing to sit at the forefront to just say, let's start doing it. Let's start now. It's never too early to begin God's glory. And then also another thing that's going to be offered by the Power of Preterism Network, which will be soon coming, is um, LIFE, Learning Institute of Fulfilled Eschatology, learning, uh, Living in the Fulfilled Eschaton, which is a certification course that I offer, um, bringing you through different various aspects of uh, walking out our faith or living in the fulfilled eschaton, and um, obviously preterism, understanding missional Christianity, understanding uh, you know spiritual disciplines and putting them into effect in your life, and uh, this is something I look to do, offer through the internet, you know, you have my time, I'll call you, we'll talk through emails, and really seek to uh, build people up and offer certifications, it'll be a, a four-month certification, or it may, we may be changing that to an eight-month certification. Um, I, I will be uh, letting you know soon. Again, this will be something I'll offer soon. And then you could also click on the photos right there on the page to visit the Fulfilled Connection as well as uh, Tony Denton's PretNet program. You can find that right there on that site because those are the, where we want to continue to start focusing on our networks and um, getting everything together. You can listen to the Bible Beacon broadcasts. Right there, you can click on that link. It'll take you to the broadcasts whenever they're broadcast on, or you could obviously, those of you that are tuning in know how to get to the page, but right there you can access that from thepowerofpreterism.com. And then also you could finally just contact me. And again, the most efficient ways to contact me is through Facebook or email. Um, if, you, if you leave me a voicemail, um, I usually I can give out my phone number. A lot of times I just say call the church. The church number's there, 3636111. Or if you know my voicemail, um, my personal cell phone, or if you email me and ask me for it, Facebook message me and ask me for it, I'll be glad to get in your hands. However, I'll just let you know that a lot of times I'm, I'm on the go, I'm on the move, you know, it's illegal to drive and talk on the cell phone here in New York. So I, a lot of times I have to, I can't do that. But 
again, that's the way to do it. And then right at the top, you have uh, you know the debates and different debates I've participated in on the front page of the home page. You can go to the um, find us on Facebook right there at the top and find all the um, more recent information. But this is really just seeking to be a hub for information for preterism and start getting the the work done. You know, let's start making things happen and uh, bringing glory to God. Amen. So with that said, I'm going to ask if you want to join me in common prayer. And if I, you know, something that's been in my prayer life lately is um. <clears throat> If I could encourage people to do common prayer, again, I read from the Common Prayer, a liturgy for ordinary radicals. It was put together by uh, Shane Claiborne and a bunch of other people. It's an amazing thing, and I do it with friends that are not necessarily Christians, friends that are, you know, of different breeds. And you'll see why here. I'm just going to kind of go through it with you and help you to understand. And you can access it. I believe you could Google uh, Common Prayer for Ordinary Radicals, and you can get the online format. And it's something great to do in your home. Again, this is a time for husband and wife to sit down, share their prayers with one another, uh, you know, father and son Sit down at the table, share father and daughter, you know, um, <laughs> grandmother and grandson. There's just so many different ways that you could go about doing this. Girlfriend and boyfriend, you know, uh, best friend and friend. You know, I mean, come on. There's just so many different aspects. I, I would even go as far as to say enemies. You know, you, you could sit down and do common prayer together. But here for April 7th, we read on April 7th, 1994, a civil war broke out in Rwanda as Hutu extremists began brutally killing Tutsus and moderate Hutu, Hutus. Over the next hundred days, nearly a million people were killed in the worst occurrences of genocide since the Holocaust. An estimated 75% of the Tutsus living in Rwanda were murdered. O Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. Give us water from the rock, O Lord, and sustain us in the struggle for justice. Psalm 35, verse 1, 24 through 25. Psalm 35, 1, verses, verse 1, 24 through 28, um, say this. Fight those who fight me, O Lord. Attack those who are attacking me. Give me justice, O my God, according to your righteousness. Do not let them triumph over me. Do not let them say in their hearts, Aha, just what we want. Do not let them say we have swallowed him up. Let all who rejoice at my ruin be ashamed and disgraced. Let those who boast against me be clothed with dismay and shame. Let those who favor my cause sing out with joy and be glad. Let them say, always, great is the Lord who desires the prosperity of his servants. And my tongue shall be taking, talking of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. Give us water from the rock, O Lord, and sustain us in the struggle for justice. When the Cardinal Roger Edergy visited Rwanda on behalf of the Pope in 1994, he asked the Assembly of the Church Leaders, are you saying that the blood of tribalism is deeper than the waters of baptism? One leader answered, yes, it is. So it is at this time that we're usually, we would go around the table and offer up our prayers for others and uh, our praises and just the prayers that have been brought before us. And if I may ask the preterist community, especially to uh, lift up Chuck Cody's daughter. Um, I know she's in the hospital suffering. I saw him share that on Facebook earlier. And um, they're still trying to wait on a diagnosis. I also have people in my church that are in dire need of healing and their family members have been asked for prayer. So I just bring those requests and, you know, the Lord knows what we pray. I, I never believe it, uh, it's, it does injustice or it's wrong to bring our prayers before God, no matter how small or minute or how major they may be. And to continually harp on praying for those things and encouraging one another to find time to just bring before their, those things before our mind and offer them up um, as a prayer and praise to God. So uh, if, if I just may just say in one accord, you know, please pray for the, the thoughts and the prayers and the praises of, with Blue Point Bible Church, as well as be on 
on guard for those that are in prayer and in need of encouragement and uh, lift them up and be aware of making that known to other saints that are ready to be prayer warriors in that area. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Lord God, King of the universe, we lift up our hands to you and ask you to help us bear the burdens of injustice. Grant us the discerning spirit to follow your path to justice. Equip us with your patience and your grace, so that as we walk with those who suffer, we might strengthen and uphold one another. Amen. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders that he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. I guess here I would say uh, onto our radio broadcast or something. And I thank you all for tuning in, and I look forward to you listening next week, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. And we will continue reading through our reading, which this week, again, there's a rest. Um, Next week I'll be continuing to exhort you to read through Exodus and uh, numbers, and then we will be taking about, I think, one or two weeks to go through uh, the book of Deuteronomy, continuing to understand the law of Moses. So uh, get ready to hear about the law of Moses for the next coming weeks, understand who is in Adam, and bring more clarity on what Jesus Christ had come to destroy. Again, go in peace. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in.